Good morning. My name is Buck Nims, and my wife and I, Cindy, have been members here at 2019, where we joined you in walking with the Lord. I will be reading this morning from Psalm 88, and if you would like to follow along, uh, you could do so in the Pew Bible. That's found on uh, page 494 from God's Word. O Lord, God, my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to shield. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the righteous, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape, and my eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? And your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the God that saves. You are the only one true God. And we ask this morning, Father, that your spirit be upon us, that your spirit be upon Jason, as he helps us to build our faith, to pull the lessons out of this psalm that can help us to be more godlike and more uh, faithful in your word. So again, Father, be with us this morning, and this prayer and our love we send to you now. In the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Prayer changes things. Have you ever heard that saying? Prayer changes things? God's people pray... God hears, God answers. Uh, some of you may count among your favorite verses, which I would uh, say does require some clarification contextually, but it's still a strong encouragement. Second Chronicles 7.14 uh, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I just read this morning in, in the book of Luke, 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So what happens when God's people pray and He doesn't answer? Now, no is a legitimate answer from God. He's he's the Lord of all and He can do whatever He wants. Do we understand that this morning? If God is God and we are not, He can do whatever He wants, however He wants, whenever He wants. But why on earth would God not give help to His people in their time of distress? Why would He seem to be so distant in our most needy moments? That is the question presented by Psalm 88. Pretty much universally agreed upon as the saddest of all the Psalms. There are other psalms of lament. Larry just preached on one a month ago. Psalm 89. Uh, But Psalm 88 stands alone as one that expresses no hope and sees no resolution. And a psalm like this undoubtedly exists in the hymn book of Israel because this is the experience of some, even among followers of the Lord. The question, O Lord, why do You cast my soul away? rings true with many of our experiences. Many in this room can identify with this struggle. Why do we cry out? Why do we ask for good things and the Lord does not answer us? Why do some of our prayers not change things? This morning we look at Psalm 88 together and I pray uh, that for some of us it helps us to see that seasons of unresolved trials, even some that last your whole life, are not outside the scope of human experience. And more specifically, they're not outside the scope of God's people. I want us to see that God is sovereign over all of this, which at first may be a bitter pill to swallow. And I want us to move toward the Lord's Supper considering whether the questions the psalmist asks here in Psalm 88 have any answers. So basically, we're going to consider three things. The psalmist's plight, the Lord's presence, and the answers to our questions. The plight of the psalmist. So the psalmist's plight is where we're going to start. The plight of the psalmist is expressed right in verse 1. Do you have your Bibles open still? If you don't, you should. Psalm 88. Right here in verse 1, the psalmist expressed his plight. O Lord, God of my salvation. It's been the theme of our service this morning. The Lord is our only hope of salvation. The psalmist comes right out and states this truth. The Lord is the only one who can rescue him from his current plight. You're the only one. That's a good thing, right? He's expressing a truth. You are the God of my salvation. 
That's a good thing. He knows that he cannot turn to anyone or anything else. And we're not given any indication of exactly what his plight is, but we see throughout the psalm how he is experiencing and understanding this trial. Follow along with me, right? In verse 3, what does he say? He says, My soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, the pit, hell. Verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. Also in verse 4, I am a man who has no strength. Verse 5, I'm like one set loose among the dead. Also verse 5, like the slain that lie in the grave. Also verse 5, like those whom you remember no more, cut off from your hand. Verse 6, put in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me. Verse 8, my companions shun me. I'm a horror to them. Verse 8 also, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. Verse 9, my eye grows dim through sorrow. Verse 15, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. Verse 15 also, helpless. Are you getting the picture of the psalmist's experience here? how he feels, what he's experiencing. In summary, he is experiencing enduring pain, long-lasting pain, and it makes him feel as if he has been forsaken by God. Forsaken by the only one who can actually save him from what he's going through. And he's saying, you're not answering me. So much so that the best thing he can equate it with is hell on earth. I am walking through hell on earth. Sapped of all his strength, abandoned by his friends, and seemingly abandoned by his God. Have you felt this? Maybe some right now are walking through seasons where you feel that. This is the experience of some in the body of Christ. Some people go through severe and lifelong troubles. Some have troubles that are not lifelong, but they are long-lasting. And when they are in them, they feel endless, hopeless, helpless. For some, it's a physical condition. For others, it's the trials of life. Broken homes, daily sorrows, mental anguish. We wonder when it will lift or if it will lift. This psalm tells us that it's okay to acknowledge that these trials are real and heavy. And that we are tempted toward despair when they're not resolved. It's okay to say that for the people of God. I think a lot of people get this feeling. Maybe we grew up with a, a, an understanding of Christianity. I, I can remember. I'd you know, go to places and they, Christians, I've got this feeling. I don't know if anybody ever told me. Christians are always happy. And if you're not happy, you're not a good Christian. Did you ever feel that way? Christians have to have the always perpetual smile. Nothing ever goes wrong in the life of a Christian. 
Or if it does go wrong, you should just suck it up, deal with it, and pretend you're happy. But this psalm paints a portrait of a part of our experience as people of God. And for some people, it's a long-lasting experience. And a side note here in this part, we're under the psalmist's plight. A couple times in this psalm, uh, we see the psalmist talking about being abandoned right, and shunned by his companions in his time of trial. He says he's even seen as like a horror to them. Like they're like, eh, don't know what to do with you. This is often the natural response of a person toward another who is walking through seasons of really hard trial. We've all done it. Sometimes it's just hard to enter into somebody else's suffering. And it's easy to say, I'll pray for you. I don't know what else to do. And it's hard. Maybe we think we're not equipped to know what to say or do for these people. Maybe it seems like it's too great a burden to carry. And I would just say this to you. Enter in. Walk with people who are suffering. They're not expecting like great profound wisdom from you most of the time, right? What did Job's friends, the only good thing they did in the entire book of Job was what? Kept their mouth shut and sat with them. Sometimes prayerful or even silent company is more than enough for the suffering saint. Enter in. You don't have to fix people's problems. You can't. God is the God of our salvation. You probably won't even be able to do many things practically, but just being there. Praying with. Praying for. The believer in Christ who walks through trial ought never walk alone. So while the psalmist is in deep despair and he has prayed for a long time with no apparent answer from the Lord, he shows us here multiple times that he's not going to turn anywhere else. He knows that the Lord is the God of his salvation. Salvation comes from no other. We see it in verse 1. I cry out day and night before you. Verse 2. Let my prayer come before you. The second half of verse 9, I sp- every day I call upon You, O Lord, I spread out my hands to You. Verse 13, But I, O Lord, cry to You. In the morning, my prayer comes before You. He's saying, I'm not hearing Your answers, but I'm not going anywhere else. I will continue to bring my prayers before You. We sang, I will wait for You. He keeps seeking the Lord. And what has his experience of the Lord's presence been like in this psalm? We move on to our second point. The Lord's presence. What do we see of the Lord's presence? It can be easy for a well-meaning friend or a misguided pastor to almost apologize for God in the midst of somebody's trial. Have you experienced this? To counsel them and comfort them in such a way that says something like, uh, this isn't of God. 
Uh, he's not involved here. He would love to help you, but he just can't. His hands are tied. Maybe they wouldn't use those exact words, uh, but I bet in a room of this size that some of us have received comfort of that nature in the past. Like, yeah, God, God's not in this, what you're going through. Which begs the question, do we worship a God who is impotent? Powerless? What do you think? That's the correct answer. Is our God limited? Do we feel more comfortable with the idea of a God who does not respond because He cannot respond? Or the reality of a sovereign God who chooses not to respond in the way we want and we can't understand why? Which of those is a preferable outcome for you? Confusion. The second one. The psalmist chooses the latter, right? So there is. There are these two options. God is not involved and he's powerless and there's just, he, just, he wishes he could help you, but he can't. Or God is sovereign over all, always. And he's not answering your prayer right now in the way that you want. And he has a reason and you can't understand it. The psalmist undoubtedly expresses the latter. He doesn't pray in the Psalms as if, like, in this psalm, as if to say, like, God, I know you're not involved in this. God, I know you're not doing this, but I, I could really use you to step in and, and give some help. L look again through this psalm with me. Verse 6 You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 8, you, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Verse 14, you cast my soul away. That's the question. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 15, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Verse 16 and 17, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Or another way of saying that is darkness is my only friend. Is God sovereign over the troubles of the psalmist? He is. Is He sovereign over your troubles? He is. Writer of Ecclesiastes says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, and in the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other. While God is not the author of sin or evil... It is clearly seen from the time of the fall of Adam and Eve through all the pages of Scripture that in a broken world, He uses pain for various purposes. He is sovereign over our pain. He does not excuse Himself from responsibility for the situations we find ourselves in. Sometimes our pain is a temporal judgment for our sins. 
the fruit of our decision making. Sometimes pain is used by God to stir others, to look to Him for rescue. If you're here this morning, maybe you're here and saying, I don't even know if I believe in God, or I don't know if I believe in Christ as Savior. And maybe you're resonating like, I know times of deep trial and sorrow and pain. And if there really was a God, why doesn't He step in and help me? Have you considered that maybe He is allowing, using pain in your life to make you cry out to Him and see that salvation is found in no one else. And see that your pain now is just a, a foretaste of the pain to be experienced by those who are not trusting in Christ for all of eternity. And that a temporary pain is causing you to look to Him and find relief from eternal suffering through the Lord Jesus. So sometimes pain is used by God to stir others to look to Him for rescue. Not just temporary rescue, but eternal rescue. Sometimes pain is used by God for believers to keep us near Him. To, to remind us of how needy we are of Him all the time. Even when we don't feel like it. How we depend on Him for everything we have. And sometimes... Sometimes we go through pain for a long time and we have no stinking clue why. And this pain makes even the believer in Christ feel like the psalmist that if God is sovereign over it all, He must be really mad at me. He must be judging me. If this is my lot in this life, what do I have to look forward to in the next life? Or maybe you think as you grapple with the reality that God is sovereign and He makes no apologies for what you are walking through, what on earth could be the purpose of this trial? The psalmist basically says in this psalm, I see that you're trying to kill me, God. Right? Because listen to the questions he asked. Verse 10, do you work wonders for the dead? Also, verse 10, did the departed rise up to praise you? Verse 11, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in uh, Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the dark? Verse 12, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Why do you cast my soul away? Verse 14, why do you hide my, your face from me? Verse 14, in other words, I know, Lord, that this hasn't been good for me, and it seems like you're trying to kill me, but I don't even understand, Lord, how this is good for you. I would love to sing your praises in a time of fruitful abundance. I would love to tell everybody around me how good God has been to me. But you're trying to kill me. How is this going to glorify you? Have you felt that? Ever feel that way? Trials, seasons of life? How could this possibly glorify God? If He wants me to glorify Him, He should change something. This psalm provides us with a lot of questions and no answers. But as we move toward the Lord's Supper, 
Let's consider where we can find the answers to the questions we ask. So I think our answers are found in two places. So first, let's start with ourselves. I, I think we want to make sure that we understand the score of this game. Okay? I want to be really, really clear. I said this earlier, and I'm going to say it again. All of our sufferings that we encounter in our lives, we don't experience them always because of something specific that we did wrong. Okay? I want to be really clear in saying so. So, like, let's say a person is dealing with a cancer diagnosis. The first question is not like, okay, what thing did I do wrong in the past that got me to get cancer? Right? Do you understand that? However, suffering does exist because of sin. Man's rebellion against God brought the curse upon the world. We all have rebelled against God's rule in our lives. By nature and by choice, we have seen all that God is. Everything He is. All that He asks. And we've turned our backs on Him. We have wanted to rule our lives. And so... While we cannot rightly say that so-and-so is dealing with this affliction because of this sin they committed, all pain and all suffering exist because of sin and the curse on this world. And we are all complicit. We are all guilty. We all receive better than we deserve. Again, I, don't, I, I, was, I wrote that line. It's like, ah, in this sermon, I, I think it's, it needs to be said. We all receive better than we deserve. And that's not meant to minimize any of the pain and struggles that you walk through. We need to be reminded of what the score really is. But secondly, as we consider the answers to our questions, there was one whose cries and tears and pleas to God came from a perfectly pure heart. One who was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, afflicted and close to death from his youth. That's what the psalmist says here. We know one who was afflicted and close to death from his youth. One who knew what it was to forfeit great joy perfect joy for a time and taste the life of sadness and pain who knew what it was to be abandoned by his family deserted by his friends and abused by the crowds of people who should have adored him should have praised him should have worshipped him Charles Wesley said Come to earth to taste our sadness. He whose glories knew no end. Jesus Christ was and is the Word become flesh. The eternal Son of God, fully God, stepped into time, took on flesh, came as a servant. He came to live a life of perfect God-glorifying 
on our behalf. He knew from the time He was born that He came to lay down His life as a perfectly pleasing sacrifice for the eternal good of all who would believe in Him. He lived His whole earthly life knowing that that moment was coming. Man of sorrows indeed. Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Larry read it earlier. He felt the weight of what was about to happen. Abandonment from His friends. Torture. Atoning for the sins of His people. Bearing the weight of sin upon Himself. Experiencing the wrath of God. He would truly be able to say, your wrath lies heavy upon me like the psalmist. As he hung on the cross, one of the last things he uttered was a quote from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he breathed his last and he bowed his head. From an earthly perspective, this was the end of a life and it was a testimony that this man was not the Son of God. That this man was not favored by God. That he had lived a life of sorrows and it had ended pitifully. That his prayers were unheard by God. But the story did not end there. The psalmist says here, do you work wonders for the dead? Yes. Yes, the God of salvation works wonders for the dead. Do the departed rise up to praise you? Yes. Yes, Jesus Christ was raised in victory, showing God's triumph over sin and death. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Yes! Yes, they are! Jesus proclaimed victory over Satan and the forces of darkness in the spiritual realm. He gave hope to all through His victorious resurrection. His answer to the questions of the psalmist are, yes, 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 there is hope in the darkest of times and in the darkest of places. The soul of Jesus was temporarily cast away. The face of God was temporarily hidden from Him. God did this to His beloved Son. And He did it so that we might know how great is His undeserved goodness toward we who believe. Do you believe today? Though our light, momentary afflictions feel neither light nor momentary. The one who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, reminds us that even they are producing for us, producing for us an eternal weight of glory that surpasses them all. The life death and resurrection of Jesus teaches those who trust in Him that even if He does not seem to be answering, 
we must continue to call out to Him. We must pray and never give up. Jesus Himself taught a parable, right? Pray and never give up. God has not forgotten to give justice to those who are His children. Knowing that the one we call out to has perfect purposes in everything, including the stuff that makes no sense. Including the stuff that makes you feel like maybe He's against you. In Christ, He is not against you, but unbelievably for you. Amazingly for you. For you. That's what we're going to be celebrating. For you. And as we go to the Lord's table, be reminded that what Jesus endured in His life has made Him a merciful and sympathetic high priest. If you're in this season of life feeling the reality of Psalm 88, He understands. He walked through it for God's glory and for you. So you can bring your sorrows to Him. I'm sure I've read these words to you before, but a a favorite song of mine on this topic is a song called The Silence of God by Andrew Peterson. And I'm going to read the lyrics to you, and then we're going to move toward taking the Lord's Supper. It's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod, And heaven's only answer is the silence of God. And it'll shake a man's timbers when he loses his heart. When he has to remember what broke him apart. This yoke may be easy, but this burden is not. When the crying fields are frozen by the silence of God. And if a man has got to listen to the voices of the mob who are reeling in all the throes of all the happiness they've got, when they tell you that all their troubles have been nailed up to that cross, then what about the times when even followers get lost? Because we all get lost sometimes. There's a statue of Jesus on a monastery knoll in the hills of Kentucky, all quiet and cold. And He's kneeling in the garden, as silent as a stone. And all His friends are sleeping. And He's weeping all alone. And the man of all sorrows, he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. The aching may remain, but the breaking does not in the holy lonesome echo of the silence of God. The Lord Jesus stands as testimony that our saving God has not forgotten us, but loves us, even when the answer seems to be silence. He loves us. The Lord's Supper is not silence. It is the shouting of God's mercy toward His people in all seasons of life. 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we go through hard things in our lives. We walk through many trials. Father, I pray that you would comfort those who are in trial right now. Seasons of suffering and pain. Maybe lifelong seasons of suffering and pain. But we must confess before you, Father, also that oftentimes when we go through trials, we are quick to question you. Quick to think you've forgotten us. Quick to wonder about your goodness. Quick to want to give up. And yet, Father, as we, we are quick in those areas, we also recognize uh, we are about to take the Lord's Supper, which is a, your proclamation that you love us. And you would go to great lengths to secure our eternal good. So, Father, I pray that you would forgive us for when we are quick to doubt your goodness, quick to doubt your love, quick to think that we know better than you. Forgive us, Lord. As we share in the Lord's Supper this morning, we pray also that you would comfort us. That as we take those who are trusting in Christ, as we take, that we would be reminded if you didn't spare your son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also along with him graciously give us all things? We have known Your abundant goodness. Comfort us with the reminder that You are still with Your people. Even when we go through seasons of trial. Even when we don't understand what we're walking through. Remind us at the table that You are with us. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.